Welcome to Wyoming Valley Church's podcast with Pastor Todd Walker. Hey everybody, hope everyone's doing well out there today. I just want to talk to you a bit about this passage from 2 Corinthians 5 verses 14 to 15. Normally when I do a podcast, I have a general outline that I follow and there's something I really want to stress and I just want to talk today more than anything. I hope that's okay. And if you're listening to this, I obviously thought it was coherent enough to post. Um, But this past Sunday, I spoke on my favorite passage, one of my favorite passages in scripture, 2 Corinthians 5 verses 14 to 15. And really the entire chapter of 2 Corinthians 5 is one of my favorites. I really encourage you, if you haven't before, to read the entire chapter And get a glimpse of what Paul is saying. And we're going to go over a couple of those things today. But I just really want to talk and hopefully encourage those who are listening today. Because I was encouraged by this passage. It was good for me to sit down with this passage for the last week or so and just think about it. And this past Sunday I spoke about it. And hopefully those who listened were encouraged by it. And I'm going to read the two verses that we looked at this past Sunday. Paul, the Apostle Paul speaking... You know who that is. He says, for the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all and therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. This past Sunday, we talked about the compelling love of Jesus and how it controls those who have been saved by it, have been touched by it, have been freed by it. And that love, although we know it, the more we explore it, the more it controls us and compels us. And that's kind of what Paul is saying. But this chapter is so interesting because after he gives this long discourse about how he would rather be at home with the Lord in what he calls his eternal building and that if his earthly tent, which is his body, is destroyed, he's not going to be upset by that. And he compares his body on earth to a tent, and he compares his life in heaven to an eternal building not made with hands. And and the reason he's talking about like this is because Paul and, and those who were spreading the gospel were under intense persecution. They were constantly threats of death. And Paul himself just went through so many tribulations just trying to share the good news about Jesus Christ. And and his life was constantly being attacked. And so he, he's saying to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 5 how they should be encouraged by the fact that if their tent is destroyed, which is their earthly body, thanks be to God they have a building. Not a physical building, although there's probably some sort of dwelling place in heaven. But he's talking about the soul. He's saying, listen, if your earthly body, your, your tent is destroyed, you have a, a building in heaven made by God, that will never be destroyed, will never fade, will never spoil. It will it will be there for the rest of eternity. So you don't need to be bothered that much by the fact that your earthly tent is under threats of death or persecution when you have an earthly, or excuse me, an eternal building not made with hands, made by God. And so that's what he's saying as he builds the foundation for this passage. And then we get to verse 11, and Paul says this. He says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord... We persuade others. He says, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. And what's interesting is in this passage, Paul brings up the two greatest motivators in the Christian life. Fear and love. Fear and love are the two most powerful motivators. I guess you could could throw hope in there as, as number three. 
But those are two of the most powerful motivators in the Christian life, fear and love. What's interesting, though, is they sort of have different seasons. Paul, as he's speaking about, is using the fear of the Lord to persuade others to come to Christ for salvation. And that's a good type of fear. That's, that's not a bad fear. That's a good fear. And if you remember, the person that shared with you the gospel probably brought up hell and punishment and damnation and things like that because it's a reality. And you could call it a scare tactic or whatever, but it's, it's true that we need to be saved because something terribly awful is going to come to us if we don't find salvation. And the whole word salvation just tells you we're being saved from something really awful. And we are. And the Christian faith is, is founded upon the fact that we're saved from something really awful, which is eternal separation from God, eternal punishment, darkness, wrath, all kinds of really bad things in Scripture. He actually calls it the weeping and gnashing of teeth in Scripture. That's what's going to be the outcome for those who don't have Jesus Christ. And so Paul basically says, listen, we persuade others based on the fear of the Lord. And that's interesting that he brings that up as a persuasion tool. And he's not ashamed of that because that's what brought Paul to the understanding that he needed Jesus Christ because Jesus confronted Paul and told him he was going the wrong way and that if he continued to go the wrong way, he would end up somewhere truly awful. So Paul was persuaded by the fear of the Lord to turn to Jesus Christ and be saved. And so he's doing that for others, and that's just consistent of Paul to say, listen, that's what persuaded me to Christ, and that's what I'm going to persuade others with to Christ as well, by the fact that they could one day be cast away if they don't have salvation and justification through the blood of Jesus. But our verse, our passages, Paul is using a different motivator altogether. He says in verse 14, for the love of Christ controls us. And the gist of what he's saying to these people, the Corinthian church, is this. He's saying, listen, I know a lot of people are, are getting you to worry about other things. Surface things, earthly things. I know you're being tempted right now to, to be concerned with status and riches and comforts and how successful you can be and what kind of legacy you can leave and what kind of memories you can make. And he, he goes, I know there's, there are people out there who are trying to compel you to be persuaded by those kinds of things. And Paul is saying, I want, I want our lives to be your defense. I want people like Paul to be the defense that you give these people, to basically say to these people, I understand what you're saying. I understand there are options out there for things that we could live for. But I want to ask you this. Why are there certain people out there who are risking their lives every single day to share the good news of Jesus Christ. See, what we have today is we have a Christianity, and it's, it's, not, it's not new, but it has picked up steam, and it's a perversion that basically says that you can have eternal life without following Jesus. You can get saved and have your sins removed without actually serving and giving your life to the one who died for you. Now, Scripture doesn't support this. If you read Scripture, Scripture gives you a balanced approach. And this passage that we spoke on this past Sunday is one of those where it says, for the love of Christ controls us because we've concluded that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. But there exists in Christianity today basically a buffet of doctrine that you can accept salvation through Jesus Christ and reject the need to follow him. 
reject the need for obedience, reject the need for laying down your life in service to the king. Basically, you could have one without the other. And it's not new. I told you it's not a modern problem. This is all over the church for thousands of years, but it has picked up steam because the more we live in this modern world, the more things this modern world could offer us. And it just makes sense that the richer we get, the more tools and technology we get, the more comfortable life can be and the more joy we can get out of this life. And therefore, if there's a doctrine out there floating around that basically says you can have forgiveness of your sins, but you also don't have to give up your life to Jesus Christ, well, it basically means that we can have the best of both worlds. We can have eternal life and we can have all the joy and fun and treasures from this earth now. Again, you don't find that in scripture, but you could find it in certain churches. You could find it, you can find it in the Bible if you wanted to say that. You can eliminate some passages and highlight other passages and suddenly you'll have a doctrine that seems to say that. And people do that all the time. The problem is, is that in this passage, there were a bunch of people, Paul and others included, who were risking their lives for Jesus Christ. And it was perplexing. It was perplexing to the enemies of Jesus, and I'm sure it was perplexing to the church to some degree, that Paul was in such danger from sunup to sundown because he simply wouldn't cease speaking about Jesus Christ and his gospel. And I'm sure there were those then, as there would be today, questioning Paul, do you really have to do that? Paul, do you really have to risk your life for that Jesus? Do you really have to go through stonings and beatings and being dragged through the streets and imprisonment? Can't you just be a Christian and keep it kind of quiet? Can't you just do your thing, go to church and, and not really bother people? And you've heard the whole phrase today, don't shove your religion down my mouth, you know, and, and Paul in a sense was doing that. But the way Paul put it is he was persuading people based on the fear of the Lord because he knew something truly awful was going to come to those people who didn't find salvation in Jesus Christ. And he thought the most loving thing was to warn those who didn't have the hope of Jesus Christ that they could have that hope. And so Paul gave his life to it. And you may have asked Paul, as if he was alive today, we might wonder, why? Paul, why? Why do you have to go to such lengths? And Paul's basically answering that question in verse 14. He says this, he says, for the love of Christ controls us. He says, I'm controlled by the love of Christ. And then he tells us, he's concluded this, he's deliberated, he's, he's calculated this. That one died for all, Jesus died for all, meaning Paul himself, and therefore all have died. So Jesus died Paul's death. Death was headed to Paul, and I'm not talking about earthly death, I'm talking about eternal death. Death was headed for Paul, that was his fate, that was his destiny, but Jesus stood in the way and intercepted that death before it got to Paul. So Paul died because Jesus died, meaning Paul's death has already taken place in Jesus Christ, which means Paul doesn't have to die any longer. Jesus raised from the grave and Paul's death is now linked to Jesus. And because his death is linked to Jesus, the resurrection is also linked to Paul, which means one day Paul will live forevermore as well. So he's concluding, he's calculating like a, like a bookkeeper like an accountant and basically saying, okay, okay, so this is what happened. Death was coming for me and Christ stepped in my place and absorbed it. He intercepted it. He took my death so that I don't have to die. And now he's freed me from the chains of sin and death. And now what do I do? How do I live because of that? Do I go back to what I was doing? Do I live my life 
for the rest of this time on this earth for my pleasures, for joy and comfort and ease and success and greatness. And this is where Paul says, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Paul says he persuades people based on the fear of God to be saved, to come to Jesus Christ for forgiveness and salvation. But he says in verse 14 that the love of Christ controls him. It controls him. And that might sound like unfamiliar language, like weird language, like like the love of Christ controlled Paul, but there's really no better way to say it. Paul, every single day, was controlled. His actions, his thought processes, his decisions were all controlled by the fact that Jesus loved him. And guys, I know what that is like. I know what that is like. I have, I have the similar story that Paul does. I have a long period of my life where I was walking contrary to Christ. And then the love of Christ came to me. First, the fear of Christ came to me, honestly. And realized, and I realized how terrifying it was going to be to be in my sins on Judgment Day. And that's, that's true, that's honest, that's a good foundation for the gospel. It should be in every gospel presentation. The fear of the Lord, it's good, it's right, it's wholesome. And I turned to Jesus Christ for the first time, maybe at age 26, and before I had just been faking it that I was a Christian. But you know what's interesting is, is fear, kind of like a relay race, kind of handed the baton to love. And it wasn't long before I was starting to be controlled by the love of Christ. Fear is what brought me to Christ. And once I was saved and once I understood that I was forgiven and restored and redeemed, man, joy flooded my soul. And then I started to make decisions. I started to make decisions that I had never made before. I started to think about things I'd never thought of before. And they all had to do about serving my Lord Jesus. And I didn't know really where they came from because they weren't there six months before that. They weren't there three months before that. And suddenly I'm making decisions now based on serving and loving my Lord Jesus. And, and the reason is because the same reason Paul was. He was controlled by the love of Christ. It was interesting, right before I started to uh, serve the Lord in full-time ministry, I was doing this, this podcast. And it, it started off as a hobby. And it was about sports. And it started off as a hobby. And my friend and I were doing it. And it was just about having fun and goofing off. But little by little, we started to gain followers and subscribers. We started to get an audience. And the audience just kept growing. And this was like, man, this is like, 13 years ago or something like that, before YouTube, before a lot of these things, iTunes and stuff like that. Maybe iTunes is around. But we started this podcast and it started to get popular. Suddenly we had dozens of followers and then we had hundreds of followers and we had people emailing us, telling us how important it was, how thankful they were for it, that one guy emailed us and said he lives in Prague and the Czech Republic and he listens to it on his commute and that if he didn't have this podcast, he doesn't know what he would do at that time. And he says, thank you. Keep it going. You guys are great. It's hilarious. We love it. Keep doing it. We were getting popular. In fact, some people were emailing us saying, you guys need to get sponsored. Okay. You need to get sponsored because this is legitimate. This is a good podcast. And, and so there I am in, in my mid twenties, for the first time in my life, kind of doing something successful. And the only problem was is that it was only a few months before that that Christ had saved me and got my eyes back on him. Now, previous Todd, if you would have rewinded two or three years ago, even a year ago before that, Todd would have been completely thrilled by this. 
that he was doing something about sports and humor and something that people loved and people were praising him for, and he would have been all about that. He would have, he would have put every egg in that basket. But here's 26-year-old Todd doing this and finding no fulfillment from it. Although it was getting popular, although it was, it was gaining success, although it was getting praise, I wasn't finding any fulfillment from it. And I found myself being controlled by a force that really was beyond any other power. And it was the love of Christ. And I, I sat there one night considering, you know, what should we do with this thing and what should we talk about next? And, and I just felt no passion for it at all. And it's like every, every energy I once had for this thing was gone. And I had no energy for it at all. Like none. I'm talking about zero. All of it was stripped away and I had no energy, which is interesting because I'm doing a podcast today <laughs> and I'm talking about a story about a podcast, but of course, different topics. But I just, I lost all zeal for it. And I told my friend who I was doing it with, I just sat him down and he came over to do a podcast with me and I told him, you know, I'm done. I said, I don't want to do this anymore. And he was very confused by that and said, well, you know, why? This thing is going great. We're getting success. We're getting followers. Why is it you don't want to do this anymore? And I basically told him, it doesn't have any eternal value. And I said, I want to serve Christ. And I'm telling you, man, if you would have known me back then, it would have been very strange for, for me to say. My friend who had grown up with me, who had been with me a long time, that must have been very strange for him to hear because I never talk like that. But suddenly I was talking like I, I wanted to do something more important. I wanted to do something that had service for Jesus as the foundation of it. And so I quit. Cold turkey. I never did another one. I never did another episode. It was done. And people were emailing us and asking us questions. Where are you guys? And come back. And we miss you. And you got to do more. And I was done. And the reason I bring this up is because I was like Paul. I was controlled by the love of Christ. And you fast forward only a few months, I moved to Michigan, I, I packed my car and, and I started serving him full time. And, and guys, I wish I could just, I don't wish I could, but I, I wish I could pat myself on the back and say it was all me, you know, go Todd. Todd was just, you know, such a great Christian, but it wasn't. I was controlled by something. I was compelled. I was constrained by something more powerful than my old desires. And that was the love of Christ. And that's what Paul is talking about. He's going, you know what? You want to know? why we do what we do. You want to know why I'm in prison. You want to know why I've been dragged through the streets. You want to know why I've been stoned and shipwrecked and all kinds of things have been thrown at me and said to me and, and people have hurt me. You want to know why I do all of those things? Because I'm controlled by his love for me. I still can't believe that he loved me the way that he did. And now it controls me to do these things every single day. I keep going. I'll never stop. I'm going to endure. I'll never stop until I see him. And you know how I mentioned before that there was a strange Christianity that exists. Like you can take eternal life and you can kind of ditch service and loyalty and faithfulness to Jesus. You don't really need to go to church. You don't really need to read your Bible that faithfully. Just do it occasionally. Make, you know, make sure it's still alive to some degree. And as long as you got salvation, you're good. But you know what's odd? You know what's very odd about that doctrine is, is let's imagine that's correct. Let's imagine the Bible supported it, which it doesn't. But let's imagine you get to the gates of the kingdom of heaven and there's Jesus, okay? There's your Lord Jesus who died for you. And he still has his wounds because scripture seems to speak like Jesus is going to carry those wounds for all eternity. They're, they're glorified. There's something we're always going to be able to look at and glory in. So there's Jesus with his wounds on the cross. And he's the one that has the gates, uh, the keys to the gates of heaven. And again, in, in this hypothetical, he's going to let us in. 
But there we are standing before him, and we, we never really loved him. On earth, it was very challenging for us to go to church regularly or read our Bible or serve him to any degree. We wanted other stuff. And now we're about to spend an eternity with this Lord Jesus, and we barely loved him at all. How awkward would that be? How incredibly awkward when, when people like Paul are in the kingdom of heaven and the man just gave his entire life for the gospel of Jesus Christ at such cost to himself. And then we wander in and we barely gave anything to Jesus. And there are, there are saints and myriads of people who are passionately in love with Jesus Christ in heaven, just want to look at him, just want to be around him, just want to touch him, just want to be near him and, and, and just want to passionately love him. And there we are going, is there anything else to do? You know, can I, can I have some fun? Can I, can I get some money? Can I go play somewhere? And yeah, do we really have to go to church? Do we really have to sing this much worship music to him? Do I, can I do something else? It would be incredibly awkward. We wouldn't want to be there. And honestly, no one else would want us there either. We, we wouldn't fit. And that's why the scripture doesn't support it, because it doesn't make any sense. No one who's not passionately in love with Jesus Christ is not going to heaven. But those who have been touched by the love of Christ, Paul says, man, it controls us. It constrains us. The reason I do what I do is because I can't help it. I can't help it. I've looked at everything else the world has to offer, and it's, it's not good enough. The only thing that's good enough is what Jesus has done for me. And I don't want to live myself, my, my life any longer for myself. I want to live it for him. I genuinely want to. That controls me. That constrains me every day to live more for him, serve him better, obey him more. And he's saying this as a foundation for those who, you know, want to come to these Corinthians and tell them about all the surfacey stuff and say, no, no, what about greatness? What about money? What about, you know, your health and longevity of life? You know, I, don't, don't push this Christianity button too far because it's going to get like Paul. It's going to get intense. It's going to get scary. And Paul's going, tell them about us. He says, boast in us. In verse 12, we are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may, you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. He says, if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. Everything we do is either for Christ or for others. Tell them about us. Tell them about these strange people that live upon the earth that sacrifice their lives and their livelihood for the sake of Jesus Christ and tell them why. It is because they are controlled by the love of Christ. And when you tell them this, they may not understand, but you might understand that there's something better than to live for yourself. That's how we used to live. That's how Paul used to live. But now that Jesus has died for me, now that I have understood what he's done to save me from my sins, to save me from the wrath of God, to save me from a godless hell in darkness where weeping and gnashing of teeth will occur, my life is now his. And I don't really have the option. I'm controlled and constrained by that love every single day. I'm captivated by his love for me. I still can't wrap my mind around why he would love me to such degrees but he did, and therefore my life is his. So when people say, hey, you should care about all these things and riches and success and health and fitness, you know, and, and memories and, and all the things you can get from this earth, Paul says, no, tell them about these, these people who exist on the planet earth who are dying for the sake of Jesus Christ, who are in prison and having stones thrown at them for the sake of Jesus Christ, that there's something better to live for. 
And I just want to encourage you who are listening today. I don't know what your life is, is about right now. I don't know what kind of battles you're facing or what kind of things you're going through. And I know 2020 has presented a whole bunch of <laughs> tribulations and trials that none of us expected. But I want to ask you this. Are you being controlled by his love? Are you being compelled and constrained by that love for you? Is it intense? Is it directing you in a way that other things can't direct you? Is it causing you to live differently than ways you would have never chosen before? If it is, man, praise the Lord, because that means you're alive and you're on your way to the kingdom of God where people who passionately love Jesus go. But if you're not, I think some real questions have to be asked. And if I could go back and ask myself a question at age 25, I'd ask the same question. Why not? Why aren't you compelled by that love? And the scary answer might be because you don't know it. You haven't really searched it out. You haven't really thought about it. You haven't really been captivated by it. And until you are, you're going to live like a common, normal, lukewarm Christian upon this earth, one foot in, one foot out. But when you are captivated... When you understand that love, it will control you. And I'm telling you this from firsthand experience. I did not choose to be a pastor. I did not go to school to be a pastor. I was not headed to ministry. I wanted to do something else. I wanted to be successful and be rich and do something funny. I was not looking to serve the Lord. The only reason I'm a pastor today and in ministry is because his love controlled me. It pushed me this direction. And I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that I can live for something that matters so that one day I can stand before my king and not perfectly, but I can say to him, man, I love you because you first loved me. And I hope that would encourage you today. And if you need to ask some real hard questions, boy, it's better to ask them now than for them to be asked, asked by the Lord Jesus himself on judgment day. Ask the hard questions, dig until it hurts, but find this out. Does his love compel you to live for him? And if so, keep going. It's going to be worth it. Jesus is worth everything we can give him. And if not, look at him again. Look at what he's done for you. Look at where you'd be without him. Consider the godless hell that you were headed for. Consider the punishment. Consider the darkness. Consider a place that has no God looking out for you. You're on your own with the lake of fire. Paul says, I persuade people based on the fear of God, but the love of Christ controls us. Those are two powerful motivators, and I hope you have both, because both are very good for us to live for Jesus. I thank you for listening. I know it's been a little long and rambling, but I just thought I needed to get these things off my chest, out of my heart, and I hope they're a blessing to you. May the love of Christ compel and control all of us today because he's worthy of it. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening to the Wyoming Valley Church Podcast. Join us for worship Sunday mornings beginning at 1030. We're located in the Dolphin Plaza on Highway 315 in Wilkesbury. Learn more about us at wyomingvalleychurch.org. Wyoming Valley Church, a place where all are welcome.